Well, I want to begin with a question this morning. Where do you find security in an insecure world? It's an age-old question, but it feels particularly relevant right now in this world. Well, 3,000 years ago, that question was raised by a man named David who was a king. And somehow, whether it's internally or externally, he had a sense that God was giving him an answer to that question. And it moved him so deeply, it made his heart sing. And he penned a psalm, what is today called Psalm 110. In a moment, I'd like to read this psalm together with you. But what I want you to understand first is that this Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the whole of the Bible by the New Testament. Uh, Peter quoted it on that great sermon he gave uh, when the Lord poured out his Holy Spirit on people. Paul quoted it when he's talking about that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Jesus quoted it again and again and again as if to say, this psalm is about me. So let's read the psalm together with Jesus in mind. Um, I'm going to ask you to pull out a Bible if you brought one uh, or navigate on your phone over to Psalm 110. We're going to put the words on the screen. Um, but if you are able, would you stand with me and read Psalm 110 together as an act of worship? When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends out from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your foes. Your people will offer themselves willingly on the day you lead your forces on the holy mountains. From the womb of the morning, like dew, your youth will come to you. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. Filling them with corpses, he will shatter heads over the wide earth. He will drink from the stream by the path. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is the word of the Lord. As Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. But what we just read never will. Please be seated. Does anybody find that disturbing? <laughs> it's a little bit. I mean, we don't like violence, especially religious violence, but I don't want you to miss the metaphor that's there, the metaphor of a battlefield. Because the reality is conflict is the context in which we live our lives. Life is conflict and you are fighting. And if we miss this metaphor, we miss the way the New Testament understands this text, which is to suggest that you have a king who is fighting for your life, and that's good news. You have a king who's fighting for security for you in an unsecure, insecure world. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Sit at my right hand. Now, David would know what it meant if he said these words, sit at my right hand. David was a king. If David said, sit at my right hand, what it would mean is security. 
for anyone who sat there. If David as a king wanted to honor, say, the wisdom of Abigail, he would say, sit at my right hand. If he wanted to honor his friend Jonathan, he would say, sit at my right hand. If he wanted to honor the general Joab, he would say, sit at my right hand. Or, or the man who had crippled feet, Mephibosheth, he'd say, sit at my right hand. Because this is a place of honor, power, authority, and security. Now David longed for a place like that in his life. He yearned for security like you'd find at the right hand of a king. Whenever he thought he got it in life, whenever he thought he got his hands around it, it would slip through his fingers. It would not hold. For example, what's it like to have a father who forgets you? Like David did as a little boy. Do you remember the time when David's father takes the family to see the prophet and oops, we forgot one. (laughs) So David knows what it's like to feel invisible, to feel overlooked, to feel abandoned. What's it like to have a mentor who turns on you? Saul, the king before David, was his mentor and role model, the one who had the the pattern that that David would have had for his life, the one who was supposed to open doors for him as as his career progressed. But Saul would be jealous of David. He would hunt him down and seek to destroy him. So David knows what it's like to be betrayed. What's it like to have an identity that fails you? Remember David's identity. He's a man after God's own heart. And yet one day, one innocent look at a woman who's bathing leads him down a a dark, dark path. And he's not done with it until he's committed adultery and murder. The man after God's own heart? Oh my gosh. David knows what it's like to violate your own, his own principles. He knows what it's like to feel shame and self-loathing. What's it like to have a family that breaks your heart? He has a lot of children for whom he works so hard to keep them secure. He pours his life into them and yet they will uh, tear each other apart. They will rise up against David himself and ultimately uh, many of them will be killed ahead of their time. David will be left saying, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. He knows what it's like to be estranged, to mourn loss. So you see, in, in all these ways, his whole life, he's been fighting for something secure. Uh, maybe a father, maybe a mentor, maybe an identity, maybe a family. And it all slips through his hands. Nothing will hold. And then one day, I think towards the end of his life, he hears God speaking. God speaking of God's hand. And it makes his heart sing. What he hears is the Lord saying, sit at my right hand. Psalm 110 gets written. Now Psalm 110 is a meditation on a conversation. A conversation that's overheard. I don't know if you noticed the quotation marks in what you read. If your Bible is still open, look at verses 1 and 4. The quotation marks, it's good that the translators put those there because there's a conversation going on. And so we want to ask the question, well, who is talking to whom? Right? And what are they saying? Well, first, who's talking to whom? David says, the Lord says to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand. The Lord says to my Lord. So, you go, so who is the Lord? Uh, notice the all caps. That's the convention used by translators to represent the divine name of God by which he reveals himself as Israel's covenant partner. The one who's speaking is the Lord, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who's my Lord? Well, uh, this is a king. This is David's king, because David's the one speaking, my Lord. This is David's king, and David's probably thinking of the words of Nathan, which may have just been spoken to David, uh, about uh, a messianic king, a coming king, a king who would sit on an eternal throne, who would be one of David's descendants. He's thinking of the Messiah. And so by the time we get to Jesus, we understand, okay, this is God the Father speaking to God the Son, saying, sit at my right hand. Now, what does David hear as he listens in on this conversation that's happening kind of in the throne room of heaven? What does he hear between these two persons? Well, there are two things. There's an oracle and an oath. An oracle is a future assured. An oath is a promise kept. Both of these things are about security. So we get the oracle in verse 1. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is to say the father to the son, my son, at uh, my right hand you will overcome all who rise up to oppose you. You'll be a victor. That's the oracle. That's the future assured for this one at the right hand of the Father. And and then the oath is in verse 4. You are a priest forever. Uh, Again, the Father to the Son. At my right hand, Jesus, my Son, I I will forever pardon any name that you name. You're a priest. A priest. You see, Jesus carries our humanity up into the Father. Jesus carries our sinful nature up into the Father. Jesus carries our name as we pray in his name, and he offers our names to the Father for forgiveness. And I'll always do it, the Father says. I'll always do it. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. That's a promise kept. That's the oath. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. I mean, just imagine what that might have sounded like or felt like for David, the one who's been pursuing security in an insecure world, I think now for 40 years. I mean, David, at the end of his life, he's, he's a king, but he's old and he's weary and he's no longer charmed by the trinkets that the world offers us. And here he hears this assurance, the one who forgives is the one who wins. My king, the Lord says to my king, sit at my right hand. That's the gospel. That's the good news preached in ancient times to David. But I want to share it with you as well because brothers and sisters, you have a king at the right hand of God. You have a king. And this is ultimate security to know that no matter what rises up against you to oppose, to know that no matter what you do, how you falter or fail, 
There is a victor, there is a priest, there is one who sits at the right hand of God and he is your king. The New Testament will quote Psalm 110 telling us that we have in Jesus quote a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. You have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That's Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. He's, he's envisioning this heavenly temple. And the, and, and the conversation between the father and the son that David overhears for us. And he's saying, you've got an anchor. Because you have a king who sits at the right hand of the father. So what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Because life is a battle. You are fighting every day. Right now especially. I mean, not with swords or stones like David fights but you're fighting you may be fighting for a father who won't overlook you fighting for a mentor who won't turn against you fighting for an identity that won't fail you fighting for a fam- fighting for a family that won't break your heart together we're fighting disease we're fighting for unity we're fighting against racism and discrimination we're fighting for freedom for all people We're fighting for the health of our planet. Some of us, some feel like we're just fighting to get out of bed. That's all I could do today. And you know what I want to say? I want you to hear this. We're fighting for our mental health. All of us. Every single one of us right now. I I hope you heard uh, the Surgeon General and the conversation we had with him a couple weeks ago. If you didn't, it's still online. Um, To hear the Surgeon General say, I've been fighting for my own mental health. I mean, he feels it, and I feel it, and we feel it. And if you don't feel it, you haven't been living through the collective trauma that the last couple years have been for us. So that's what we're fighting for right now. You know, this past uh, uh, week, I'm so sad to have to say, we lost one of our college students, and it's been heartbreaking for us. Please pray for our young people. Please pray for those of us who are working with our young people. And I just want to take a moment again to say, if, if you're feeling a heaviness, if you're feeling a darkness or, or uh, an impulse to harm yourself, please reach out. Please reach out to a friend, family member, to me, to us. I'm going to again put on the screen the, the telephone number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK. Your life matters. And you have a king. See, we're fighting. And to the Bible, none of this is a surprise. I know we don't like to think of ourselves as fighters, but you are a fighter. Listen to this. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You're fighting. But at the right hand of God, rulers and authorities, defeated. At the right hand of God, cosmic powers of this present darkness, defeated. At the right hand of God, the spiritual forces of evil, defeated. This is the good news. This is the story that we're in. And I want to ask you to imagine, what would it be like to live from the right hand of God? What would that be like to live from that reality? 
This is why I think Christ the King Sunday is so important, why I'm, I'm open to kind of a resurgence. I don't know if you guys gave in each other presents this morning when you got up to celebrate Christ the King Sunday, but if ever there were a day to celebrate, it's today. This is the culmination of the whole story and the whole Christian calendar. Remember, Advent's the beginning. We celebrate the birth of Christ. You go, what about Christmas Eve? Isn't that a bigger deal? No. If he's not king, the one who's born, what difference does it make? I mean, what difference? Then we come to Lent and the death of Jesus Christ. If the one who dies isn't king, what difference does it make? Then we come to Easter and he rises from the dead and that's awesome. But if he's not king, what difference does it make? And then we have Pentecost after that when he pours out the Holy Spirit on his subject as his his agents who bring the kingdom of God. And what difference does it make if he's not the king? And so at the end of all of that, it's today, it's today. This is Christ the king. He sits enthroned over heaven and earth at the right hand of God. And that is something to celebrate. What if we lived in that story each day? Just listen to the promises that God makes about God's right hand. Can I just read a few of them to you? First, the promise of strength. He says in Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Strength. Or the promise of joy. Psalm 16.11 says, In your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy. Or or comfort. Uh, Psalm 138.7 says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you stretch out your hand and your right hand delivers me. Comfort. Uh, Forgiveness. Romans 8.34 says, Who then is the one to condemn No one, Christ Jesus, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Forgiveness. Identity, we talked about. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then also you will be revealed with him in glory. Your identity right now is coming from the right hand of God. What would it be like to live from the right hand? Think about that. Let me give you an example of somebody who did that. Uh, Colin Powell. Colin Powell lived from the right hand of God. Now he, like David, was a soldier. He was a a ruler, secretary of state. And he knows something about insecurity. Colin Powell made a decision that turned out to be a bad uh, decision. And it cost many lives in the, the war in Iraq. What's interesting about it is though he owned that decision. He took responsibility for it. He apologized for it. He said it was the greatest regret of his life. This is a man who changed his mind, by the way. But he knew how to live from the right hand of God. He was a committed Christian. He was an Episcopalian. And I think he, he, he did that by listening both to the oracle and to the oath. I think it was the oracle that David hears here that gives Colin Powell the courage to make hard decisions. And I think it's the oath that David hears that gives him the humility to admit when he's wrong and made a bad one. So I say he's living from the right hand of God. As you know, Colin Powell passed away recently, tragically, and his son at the memorial service gave a tribute. And it's worth watching if you haven't seen it. His son's name is Michael. And he talked about a time in his life as a son that he was in crisis fighting for his life. He had an army injury and he was, I think at Walter Reed in the ICU unit in the middle of the night, his father came 
into the unit. And um, as he's fighting for his life in great pain, his head sort of swimming with the meds, he has this one memory of his father reaching out and taking his hand. And through all the pain, what he says he felt was a father's love. Now, when Colin Powell, decades later, was also in the hospital, Michael, his son, visited him the very night that Colin Powell died. And as he sat beside his father's bedside, his father reached out with his right hand, I got to believe, and grabbed it again. And Michael says, I felt my father's love. That was the hand, he says, that took my mother's in matrimony. That was the hand that held me as a baby. That was the hand that signed report cards and tossed baseballs. That was the hand that saluted soldiers and signed treaties. And then he says, that hand is still now. It's still. But it left a deep imprint. And I I think that's a good picture of what it means to be a Christian, right? That That the hand of God left a deep imprint on our lives. You can't see the hand. But, but you, you ought to be able to see his imprint in, in my life, in every area of my life. The hand of God. This is the hand that made you. This is the hand that parted the seas. This is the hand that touched the face of Mary. This is the hand that healed the sick and fed the hungry. This is the hand that carried the cross and that held on to those nails until, as he said, it is finished. This is the hand that ascended into heaven and waved at angels as he did. And this is the hand that eventually hitched up his robe and sat at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is where we find security in an insecure world. At the right hand of God. There, is no, there could be no greater security than this then you are held fast by the right hand of God. And finally, let me say to you, this hand, I believe, these hands are open to you today. And so I urge you to come to him today. Come into his open arms. There are two invitations in this text as I read it. Uh, There's an invitation that comes from the oracle, the victor, and an invitation that comes from the oath, the priest. First, let me share the invitation of the oracle. I'll tell you what I I mean. Uh, Remember, the oracle says, sit until I make your enemies a footstool. To come to this Jesus is to come to surrender. That's the only way to come to him, to come to him and surrender. Notice that word, until. That tells us that the father understands as he speaks to the son that the world isn't under the lordship of Jesus Christ and There are parts of me that are not under the lordship of Jesus Christ now as well. And so the invitation for me in this is to ask, are there parts of me that I'd be willing to surrender now to Jesus so that he could be king over more, if not all, of me today? I'm reminded of the Japanese soldiers who Uh, remained in hiding in caves and holes years and in some cases decades after the end of World War II. They didn't know the war was over and so they couldn't surrender. 
Many of you have walked with Jesus for many years and he's very familiar. The problem is that, that even though we surrender to him initially, we start clawing back control of our lives and pretty soon we're on the throne and we've lost track of the right hand. So what I want to do is I want to invite you today to come before your king and to surrender. Uh, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to light a candle. If you choose to surrender again to Jesus, come and take a candle and let it be a burning prayer to him. What I suggest you do is as we sing our last song here in a moment, that you ask the Holy Spirit to put his finger on an area of your life that's unsurrendered, that's unresolved, that's, that's not yet bent the knee to the King Jesus. And then if you can identify that area and if you're willing to surrender it to Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to come up and come down here and take one of these candles and ask the Lord to, to help you surrender that area and light it as a burning physical prayer right here. So we're going to uh, respond in that way to his oracle. But also I want to invite you to respond to his oath because there's a second invitation in this text. Remember the oath says, the father to the son, you are a priest forever. And to come, and to to, to come to this king is to come and receive pardon. And we all need pardon, all of us. So maybe you're not a believer yet. Maybe you're not a Christian. Uh, maybe you thought you were, but you haven't really clearly said yes to Jesus. I want to invite you to do that today. Remember, the Bible says the Lord is not slow about his promises, something of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. This is the purpose of time, Peter is telling us in 2 Peter 3.9. God has given us time so that we can turn and receive salvation. Right now, I believe Jesus is at the Father's right hand, naming the names before his Father of those who have come to him. And my question is, is he naming your name today? Have you given him consent to do so yet? Today is the day to become a Christian. What a great day to become a Christian, to know that you're a Christian, to have the assurance on Christ the King Sunday. I mean, most people think that salvation is for good people, that to be a Christian means to be a good person, as though salvation were sort of a reward for a life well lived or an accomplishment that you earn. That's not the gospel. Jesus makes it clear he comes for the ungodly. He comes for the forsaken. And a Christian is just somebody who says yes to him. I was reminded about the SpaceX trip that went up recently with four astronauts. And did you know that three of the astronauts, they qualified for their seats. They deserved it they were, for various reasons. There was one guy in that capsule who was completely unqualified. And he got to go up there because he won a lottery ticket. But actually, you know what I learned? He didn't win the lottery. He, he didn't. He joined the lottery. He lost the ticket. He was a loser in every, every sense, completely unqualified to go up into space. But he had a friend who knew how much he wanted to go, and he did win the lottery. And that lucky friend gave an even luckier friend a ticket, and he went. So this guy went soaring up into the heavens on somebody else's ticket. And again, is that not what Jesus offers us? Right? Someday you'll stand before this God. And you'll come before this God. I urge you not to try to show him your resume and, and tell him about all of your credentials. You'll come before this Father and you'll show him the ticket, which isn't your ticket. It's not something you deserve. You didn't earn it. Jesus deserved it. He earned it and he gave it to you. You soar up into the heavenly throne room 
on the ticket of your friend, Jesus. And should you come to that day, you show the father the ticket. And when the father says, what's this? You tell him, the priest sent me. And the father will look at the son, and the son will look at you, and the son will say, yep, she's with me. Yep, he's with me. And he'll say your name. And you will stand. No, you will sit then in that seat with Jesus, that seat of honor, power, authority, and security for all of eternity. That, my friends, is the promise. This is what Timothy, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. If you want this salvation, come. Come to him today. Take the hand. Come forward. And let us pray with you. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward now. Um, prayer team, please. They have green um, badges on. And what I'm going to invite you to do is, um, as we're coming forward and lighting candles uh, to surrender ourselves again to Jesus, if you don't yet know him, I want you to come and find one of these men or women with the green tags and tell them, I, I'd like to say yes to Jesus today. Um, it'll just take two minutes or less. They're going to ask your name. They're going to ask uh, if they can pray for you, and they will, and then they'll ask for your address so they can give you a gift that will help you follow up and grow as a Christian. Please come forward and let us pray for you today in this way. Um, all right, so this is why he died, to give you this gift. This is why we're here. He wants us to receive it. Let's be bold today. If you're hearing this on the radio or later, you can come to upc.org slash Jesus. And those of you who are on the live stream will get some further instructions as, as to how you can come to Jesus and his right hand today. Come to our King. Come, let's say, I surrender all. Come, because those who kneel before the King now will be raised up on the last day and seated with him for all eternity. Come and let Jesus take your right hand because at the end of the day, it's not how you hold his hand that makes you secure, it's how he holds yours. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing us to this moment. Thank you for the assurance of this text. Thank you for the invitation that you want us at your right hand. And that you've come from so far, through so much, to lay hold of our flesh and blood, to pin it to the cross, to push it through death itself into resurrection life. And for those of us who say yes today, we also shall one day rise. <laughs> Thank you for that. Pray now that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us to overcome our reluctance, to overcome our resistance to overcome anything that would keep us back, that you might open our eyes, soften our hearts, and release us for the joy of knowing you are our King. In Christ's name, amen.